0: The big idea um, that's been drawn out, I believe, from this scripture is the Lord's victory over his enemies and the vindication of his people. I want for us to be encouraged because in this time as believers we can be discouraged by, uh, even Tevin would have just mentioned, the, the actual very hard persecution that believers around the world are experiencing. And that is going to be an inevitable reality for all of us. Um, I'm not sure at what time we will experience it as individuals, but that is inevitable for our children, our children's children. It is coming. The and not desacralization, but just anti-Christian notions and and ideologies are being spread. Um, We need to face these realities. We need to be prepared for these realities, and we need to... Be mobile to love on those who are experiencing those realities right now as heaven would have prayed for. So let's, let's give another introduction to, not just the book, but we had an this morning, the book of Revelation. It's written by John, um, either around the time of Nero or the time of Domitian. Again, you know, the debate Actually, we're going to talk a little more about that context today, but the focal so point here is that John was shown a whole plethora of visions up at this point, a lot of plagues and judgments. And one of the angels who would have poured out one of the seven bulls in the previous chapter, in chapter 16, would have come to him and would have narrowed down in describing the judgment of this great prostitute. He describes some other characters within this context. He talks about the scarlet beasts, he speaks about the saints, he speaks about the Lamb of God, so there are a whole bunch of characters and a bunch of symbols, seven heads, ten horns, seven heads and seven mountains and seven kings. And then, what are those things to to mean? There's a lot here. (laughs) So by God's grace, we'll get to them. What I am not here to do, I'm not here to give a lecture on any particular eschatological view. (laughs) Uh, Although there are legitimate debates to be had about the different symbols and the specific identities of these specific symbols. And I recognize, or this, although I'm saying that I recognize that ultimately, if I'm conveying anything, I'm conveying somebody's (laughs) view. If I'm conveying anything, I'm still conveying a view. But also, we understand that it could be specific or broad. I think that they're broad realities that all believers, whether you are futurists and historists and preterists and semi preterists or whatever else it is, (laughs) we can agree to these things. We can hold these things and understand the relevance of the scriptures to us, amen? Amen. <laughs> um, I want us to to understand the reality of suffering of pain um, where we are right now and to have some biblical application for it with that said let's get to the vision the first um, character we want to look at are the saints the saints we see the saints spoken of in verses 6 and they saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints the blood of the martyrs of Jesus we also see something good I'm going to pass that over for a second they were mentioned again as the called chosen and faithful which is a good observation this is something that we should be encouraged by The saints were mentioned as the called, the chosen, and the faithful. Uh, This is the dependent quality. I'm going to get what you mean about dependent quality. there. The the descriptors there were all dependent on something. Um, So I'm not going to focus too much on what the called, chosen, and faithful mean. But this does parallel uh, uh, what theologians call the golden chain in Romans. Those who are called, justified, justified, and so on and so forth. This is something that should encourage us to see that we are called we are chosen by God and by His grace we will be faithful and this is the characteristics that would have described the believers currently going through the persecution within John's context, within the Roman context and this is important to, to think about they were not in modern western geod- ge- uh, Judeo Christian cultures that the laws were relatively based upon God's word, and for the most part, you can, you know, speak with Jesus and be nice. And, like, they were within a context that this faithfulness, this being called, it cost them something. This was a costly calling. This was a costly faithfulness. So, although I wants to be encouraged by God's choosing of us, by God's calling of us, and by the faithfulness that will bear fruit because of it. It does cost us something, which gets on another point, which I previously mentioned before, because it was mentioned earlier, that the blood was flowing. The, the prostitute was drunk with the blood of the saints, the saint martyrs of Jesus Christ. The very volume that is being depicted shows that there was a sense of enjoyment on her part. The, the, the fact that we could speak about being drunk with something. The drunkenness that happened because of the severe persecution and blood that was flowing from the believers of Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Leon Morris, one of the commentators that I would have been reading, would have said it in this way. Um, would have mentioned this as well and pointed out that drunk um, is in the present participle in the Greek. So John was talking about John was talking about a continuous state, not just something that would happen in the past. So it wasn't just that he was mentioning the fact that the Christians had it real rough back then, or something that he would have. Seen that was from the past. He was saying that right now, even as as he was seeing the vision, he could have seen the continuous shedding of the blood of the saints and the the enjoyment that came from the harlot in doing so. Uh, one of the things I was asking myself after seeing this is if we still want to called the children's and the faithful, <laughs> if, it is, if it is that we understand um the realities of the saints there. the fact, this is a continuous reality for all believers around the world, and that maybe, hopefully not, because none of us want to suffer in that way. We really don't. <laughs> um, but possibly, hopefully not likely. But we ourselves can experience this, and I have to reiterate this again and again because the we have a very sissified Christianity at this point—a very comfortable Christianity. A Christianity that doesn't cost anything the most it costs us is somebody dislikes us on Facebook and then we say, like, we, we really don't know what it is like to have to cost us something. Our jobs are relatively secure. Um, I don't know of much contacts. There are some um, where our jobs are threatened, or we can't make more money because of a particular physical um, standpoint, but for the most part, in Barbados' context, we are comfortable. But we need to recognize that everybody is not experienced this. We need to be praying for them. We need to be out for God for them. We need to be as active as possible in believing them. Anyway, we can really be selling money. well, <laughs> Whatever it is as believers. That are in this context. Are comfortable to love those who are not. Second character. Or characters within the character. of the enemies. The first character that we see. That was described. I think, more than any other within. Um, this parable, well, Probably equally to the beast. Is the great prostitute. Babylon. Now, although there are different views across the, the spectrum, everybody that I've read, even those different views, within John's context, the great Babylon from his viewpoint, at the very least, could have been Roman. I think we could all agree to that. We could all see why that would make sense within his context. He was under Roman rule, that was the context he was in. And many of the descriptors um, used do reflect a Roman type of world. Even when we look at the uh, seven mountains, um, Rome was known for having a famous seven mountains. So it, it seems to be, even if it's being used as a symbol, as an allusion to something, Rome is still the picture that is being shown. So there may be a literal thing, but it can be a symbol to something. Again, I that, But the point is that I believe it is okay for me to say this Rome without anybody being offended by my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. So the great prostitute Babylon, Rome What about her? Well, we just, as I mentioned, she is the persecutor of the saints. Um, Her and her children are those who bring death to believers in Christ. The system and the people and the power um, are all used, not simply for their own enjoyment, their hedonism, their idolatrous behavior and self-pleasure, but actively to persecute and to harm believers. A second observation about her I thought this was an, an interesting way to articulate it um, by G.K. Beale Cultural, Economic and Idolatrous Religious Power I can repeat that again because that's myself as well. Cultural, Economic and Idolatrous Religious Power Let's let me read something see if I could explain what he was meaning with this. He says the nation's cooperation with Babylon ensures the material security the intoxicating effect of Babylon's wine removes all desire to resist Babylon's destructive influence, blinds them to Babylon's own ultimate insecurity and to God as the source of real security, and numbs them against fear of a coming judgment. She subdues all people's, she subdues, that's the end quote, sorry, she subdues all people, nations, and tongues with her seductive power. And she also is nourished um, from their participation in her her so Babylon, I think many times is used in the same way, is a picture of of power, and not just general power, but uh, a destructive satanic yeah. idolatrous power. And that is what's being described by, by this father. That's who she is. Even as was mentioned just now, as being over the people, there is a there is a attractiveness to her that In her exertion of power over people, they accept it, they like it, they want it. It is not a case where she is simply using force to destroy as she is, using force against the church. There is something about this power, there is something about this prostitute that is attractive and grips people. And this should be a warning to the church. This is something that we should think about because we, in our context... Even if it is that we may have different views upon the specific ramifications of, of the Antichrist and everything else, we do recognize that there is a world system that is Antichrist. There is has always been, from the beginning of the world to now, systems, people, power structures that have desired to persuade people and to keep people's eyes blinded from the necessity for God, the security that God brings, the truth that God brings. And we need not ignore this because we're susceptible to it as well. Especially for us who are in the comfortable parts of the world. Those who are suffering and persevere, like, they don't have time to be worrying about being comfortable and being happy and, and being distracted by money and, and, and Netflix and everything else. Like, they actually, to, to be a Christian is something that costs them. But within this system, there's so much wealth and, and, and productivity. It is a seductive power. And as believers, we need to be careful of not being sucked into it because there are a lot of legitimate ways in which we can be productive. There are a lot of legitimate ways in which we can pursue within the context of the world good things. But we need to be careful not to become a part of the world and to love it. It is a very seductive thing. And we can make all sort of justifications to ourselves to partake and participate in it. Because obviously, you know, it's not as if I am in this particular context and when I go to a a farm or somebody else, I have to eat some idolatrous to me in order to purchase for himself. Yeah, I'm not, I don't have to do that. So, For the most part, we clear up because we use money and, and that's fine. So I can interact with the world as I please without having to think about their effect on my mind and, and, and my participation in their idolatrous wickedness. That is not the case. We are I think so engulfed within the culture that all of us, to some degree or the other, have blind spots in this area. We have become so desensitized to the nature of sin that we participate within the world system without questioning it. There are things that don't even come to mind that a believer in a different context would see us like, how, how can you even like, why can you, why would you participate in that? Why would you purchase that? Why would you watch that? Why would you be in that particular area within this particular context? Why would you, why would you show support for this particular thing? I did not want to get into this and in design, but even after, when we look, um, Within the American context and when America's new teachers are called, so I think it's relevant to some degree. And the amount of ideologies being taken up by the church because the world has, has been holding on to them. Whether it be intersectionality, whatever, whatever and these things and these the people, although I'm sure that some of them are just wicked false teachers, some of the people actually believe that this is something that is good. Something that's wholesome to view people because of the color of their skin or our they actually see that as a good thing, and this is something that is troubling because many of, and, and sadly within our context and circles that we listen to, people we listen to, even within more conservative Bible believing, I love the Bible, Jesus, reform all that good stuff. That is happening. This is a seductive power. This is not something that we can just ignore. Once if I, I was so surprised to see how easily people that. It is a scary thing, and we in, Bar- in Barbados need not ignore the seductive power of the harlot. Something else that she is that I noticed, is that this this great harlot, this great prostitute, is a parody of the church in so so many ways. Let's look at a few. One of the one of, one of the ones are the location. Now, earlier on in the book, I believe in the verses, in chapters 12, I believe is when this is being spoken about, the Old Testament believers being described as a woman given labor within the desert um, was, was taken by God and the way so she wouldn't be devoured by the beast. She was to give birth, the dragon wanted to come and eat the child, which is in that context Jesus. You can look at it for yourself. <laughs> but the the Old Testament church, the, the woman being described the there, which is ultimately a part of the body of Christ, was moved um, away in the desert as a form of protection. In this context though, the harlot is in the desert, exploiting and being exploited in a harlot tree. That's something that's interesting about. the the location and the parallelism that is being used there. Her arraignment in similar to how the church is being said to be arrayed by her husband in fine linen bright and pure in Revelations 19.8 The the great prostitute also is arrayed in beautiful linen pearls and scarlet and gold and jewels. Not to mention that these things are being mentioned as well um, in verses in chapters 18 which is right after this describing the people woeing and crying out because of her destruction but nevertheless the beauty of this woman is is being contrasted with that of the church we understand and we should see hopefully that the beauty that she has is shallow and temporal and as was said in this very same chapter will only last but for an hour because of the destruction that we had but that of the church is deep and eternal. And this is, this is, every time I there, there are more parallels that I'm going to go through here, but when I think about this, when we think about the world system and who we are, the devil, Satan, the Antichrist, and everybody else that we will see, tries to, it, tries to, to, to shadow and to mimic Truth. Tries to shadow and try to mimic truth. try to shadow and try to mimic God and His people. Another thing that I saw that was interesting is the name that is written on the forehead. And I think we all know about in this very book of Revelation the, the forehead writing being about the believers and the Lord. His name being written on our foreheads as a staff, as us belonging to Him. And her writing, speaking about her being. Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of the earth abominations, and Derek Thomas means to know that just as the woman in chapters twelve, as was aforementioned, gives birth to the church through Christ, the bride of chapter nineteen, so the woman of chapter seventeen gives birth to those who would destroy the church. There is this, this stark, this well not stark, this this very in your face parallel between the type of woman the harlot is and the type of woman the church is a bride, a harlot one in pure linen one in all this gab and and, 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 and fabulousness and we really need not try to look like the harlot because even within the context of John seeing this he marvels at his rebuke. Now, there are different views and different thoughts about this. But at the very least, a part of the rebuke was because there is an attractiveness to this harlot. A harlot by nature is supposed to try to draw you in. Now, there's also the fact that he saw the persecution going on and he was marveling at it. But uh, the when we think about the different visions you would have just had, earlier you would have seen a woman inside a desert not similarly, but in good lending. And then he sees this this other woman, this beautiful woman in it, and he marvels at her. Marvels not just at her, obviously the wickedness she's doing, but at her and at the wickedness she's doing. And the angel sees it and starts give a slight rebuke and say, Well, what are you marveling at? Hmm. <laughs> and explain to him in detail the mystery of that woman. So that's just something for us to think about. Okay? Not trying to be like it and, and recognizing the attractiveness of it. Another character is the beast. And this is where a lot of the reading took me. The seven heads equals the seven mountains, the seven kings. So, because I am not a scholar in this regard, give me a second to read a portion of a few of the views about what these seven heads and seven mountains and seven kings are from a few people. First, from Dennis Johnson. Johnson um, what is called the emperor view so viewing these specific numbers of heads as individual people as individual emperors within that context this is what he has to say about it give me a second various proposals have been offered on the supposition that the seven kings stand for seven Roman emperors the sixth of whom is presumably on the throne, as John writes. If the information supplied in Revelation 17.10 were intended to identify the reigning emperor, he could be anyone from Nero on into the early 2nd century. This would depend on whether one begins with Julius Caesar, who was technically pre-imperial but founded the dynasty from which early emperors descended, or with Augustus, the first official emperor, it would also depend on whether one includes all emperors or only those honored by the Senate with post-posthumous deification, and whether and whether one omits or includes the three rivals who struggled for power in the year after Nero's death. Admittedly, a mind of wisdom is needed to crack the code. <laughs> Something else that was said, uh, that I thought was was good since our problem in identifying the emperors is not due to any lack of historical information there is no reason to think that John's first century readers would have been in any better case than we are so the point he's making here is that all the information that we have they have. let me sorry, all that they have we have we don't have any lack of historical lot of who's at what point, but it will still be confusing and need a minor wisdom for anybody if it is you're going to take that position. Um, Another one is from a guy, I think this is Derek Thomas, um, which is the Empire View, I think it's Derek Thomas. He says that there so as opposed to my emperor There are empires And the seven emperors were Egypt, Assyria, Babylon Persia, Greece and Rome Which was the sixth at that time The seventh would to be a symbolic representation Of all the empires between Rome and the second coming of Christ And the eighth is Satan himself So that's another deal there Now it, is, it stands for um, The Not the emperors but empires themselves the Ten of Horns have similar esoterical controversies. They're the, uh, from individual people to ideas like education, arts, music, The similar to how um, Dominionists think of the different things to be conquered, that sort of thing. So, What we do know though, what we can say without being confused and having to get too deep down and, and all of us becoming historians tonight, is that the ten horns are in one mind with the beast and they give their authority and power to the beast. Because that is explicitly, expressly said. There's no controversy there, we understand that. Whoever these entities or people or systems or things are, they give themselves up and their power to the beast. Something else about the beast, as was aforementioned, all these parodies is a party of Christ. I think the most obvious one the most obvious one that should have probably um, jumped out on us or at us when we read it was when it was speaking about the one who is that that was that was um, interesting to me to see the, the type of mockery I think the mockery is being made of him actually Christ is the one who is and who was and who is to come the beast was and is not and is to come. Uh, some commentators believe that this was a mockery of the beast and that Satan and his minions always tried to in uh, what is it? I can say the word. Is intimidate? Intimidate. Imitate. Oh, thank you. Imitate. Uh, that word was coming to on Imitate. Um, and imitate Christ. So, in saying that he was and is not and is to come, he not some believe speaks to the decisive blow that was given at the cross that he is no longer although this may be the case it's still an issue in that people are still deceived people still marveled at the beast because of this not just that mouth of the beast but after this was said it said that people marvel at this so there's a deceptive nature to it although a decisive blow was given to the beast because it seems to still be an operation people think as if he, he he took the bait of the blow of Christ, which is not the case. And I think the world is in this position. Um, people who question the authenticity of the resurrection of Christ, people who make fun at the fact that the world is carried on as it is without fire and brimstone, are in this position. They look at the world system, they look at the sin, they look at the people who, within history, who have a bad person, what I call even people that we consider good, who have ruled and done wicked things. Without any visible ramifications or any godlike ramifications, they say just death. But they don't view that. This is a natural process. Um, look at the world and say, "Well, things just going on the way." Christians would say that Christ came back. Long time, he came back, yet, So just about the talk. And we as believers sometimes can feel this way, to be honest. We can feel as if, yeah, it's been two thousand years. <laughs> the end times are a little long, and um, particularly in suffering. And they're going through hardship, Um, and and hardship that is only because you choose to hold to the faith. If you just deny the faith, you to them, you get the money, you get the women, you get the time, you're happy. So this can be something that's very discouraging for believers. If it is that we are within a context where, if we would just wise up and recognize that no real decisive blow has been given to the world, like the world is kind of normal, like people slaughtering babies in millions, and again voting again, (laughs) like honestly, bro, you can't really think that God is in control can't really believe that things are still going to ultimately culminate in some wrath or something like that because it's been going on for quite a while and no ramifications or consequences happen but we need to trust and be convinced of as believers the ultimate victory of Christ and the vindication of the believers who have been sacrificing for the sake of the gospel from the time immemorial something else we recognize I don't want to go too deep into it because of what we're going to be speaking about next but that the beast hates the lamb but it's ultimately defeated. There's a hatred for the lamb. It's not a case where is just existing within his own bubble. There's a, an active, uh, I should say proactive desire to destroy the lamb. He will fail, as we know, because he's just a creature. And he's with the creator. But he will ultimately be defeated. What about my favorite character in this whole narrative? The lamb. The king of kings and the lord of lords. And this is why we was saying earlier that the aforementioned qualities of the bride, of the saints, of the people of God was a dependent one. God is the one who calls, He is the caller, He is the chooser, and He is the protector of the, of the ones who are faithful. And this is a glorious thing. We are we are so blessed to have such a Savior. So blessed to be said to have been chosen by God. Now we all say or at least theologically propositionally affirm the election of and sovereignty of God and salvation and stuff like that but I wish for myself that could be more of a reality when I think about my own sin and then when I think about my frustration and sin around me in the world. Like if it is that we are actually Chosen by the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, are called by Him and and will be faithful because of the protection that He provides. Why is it that I, and I think others could be made, are so easily discouraged by themselves and by others? The type of insecurities that we often struggle with are unjustifiable if it is that we truly were convinced of this. If you actually thought that the narrative or the narrative or reality is going to culminate in the in the victory of the created universe, who you have faith in, and who says he is your king and your lord and your brother and John ears and you know, all these other things that he dis- he describes us as to himself. Why is it that we are so easily discouraged? Why is it that the faithfulness that is asked of us because of the grounds of the reality of who he is to us is not reciprocated, is not given, is not experienced by us? I'm praying for and hopeful that. In recognizing the defeat of the beast and of the woman and of all the enemies, that we could be encouraged by it and not just because it's Christian, needs to say that That's God they encourage and encourage us, but that when we walk in our daily lives and something occurs at our job or, or some mistreatment happens to us, or money that we didn't plan to spend, God gets spent that we won't the world. But we, we could actually believe that. All things were together get good forget for those who are in Christ. Even if I was supposed to die, I covered because I, like, I actually believe in God and heaven and something like that. that obviously, we don't want to be flippant about death, but the reality is that to live is, you know, to live this Christ and to die is, you know, like we, if this is true, in the midst of the, the drunkenness of the world against believers, and the reality of the inevitable persecution that we will all have to suffer at some point in time, and pain and hurt because of our own sin and because of the sin of others, that... We can be brave. We can be all right. It's not like, it's honestly not the end of the world. And when the end of the world comes, it's because of the wrath of God against sinners and our vindication, not the opposite way around. Something else that is glorious is the sovereignty of God in this whole narrative. I'm going to read the latter part of this chapter again so we get a glimpse of what I'm speaking about. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over the power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of mm-hmm. lords and King of kings. This is a combined word. even talking about this and conquer them. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to him, "The waters that you saw, where the prostitute is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. So they will make her des- they will make her desolate and naked, and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purpose." By being of one mind and handing over their royal power to these, until the words of God are fulfilled. <laughs> that that is, that, is, that is amazing to, to, to see. It is, it is not a case where these things are happening within a vacuum. or God is like open to to um ignorant of what's happening, just looking at, at like well, things are about to happen. Are the deists believe that God has put things into motion in the world operates on its own. God is operative, and His purposes will be fulfilled even within the hatred of His enemies. The hatred towards Him is is instructed to therefore is used to their own destruction. If we honestly believe that we serve the God that is in control of all these things, there is literally nothing to be to, to fear. There's nothing that I can or should be concerned about legitimately. We are really paying lip service to this if it is that when these things occur in our lives, whether it be persecution or pain, that we're overwhelmed by them. And then Johnson had a, a good part on this as well, a, a sharp part of the commentary that I'll let you read to you guys within the, the context of the sovereignty of God in, in all these things. The irony of Babylon's fall magnifies the. Incomparable power and wisdom of God, the beast and its allies, raging in hostility towards the lamb and his grave, will be the weapons that God uses to bring down the harlot, who was once the beast's royal consort. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose, by having a common purpose, and by giving their kingdom to the beast, until the words of God will be fulfilled. If there is one thing in all the world that the rebels do not want to do, it is the purpose of God. But they are helpless to keep the, that sovereign purpose out of their hearts, to protect their minds from the invasion by the, Lord, by, the Lord, by the Lord God Almighty. In doing what they want to do, hating the harlot and ripping her to pieces, they are doing precisely what God wants. That's amazing that is that is amazing I wanted to point out something else that I think should be really important to us some other parallels but these are relational parallels and these are parallels in how the beast relates to the prostitute and how Christ relates to his church the beast and prostitute have a reciprocal or mutualistic relationship somebody told me something for something the nature of their relationship was that if they simply want to gain what the other could provide. There was nothing there was nothing about the relationship that 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 had a faith-based reality. If you could not give me something, you are not worth anything. The beast, she was running upon the beast, and that helped her spread and exert her power, and the beast gained power in that context as well. And ultimately, we see what happened, But we're going to get there. The bride of Christ, on the other hand, is totally dependent on him. And he wants it that way. She will lack for nothing. This is a beautiful picture. This is not... And even within the context of, of marriage and, and, and marriage of family church, there is a beauty in a man loving his wife and her lacking for nothing. A desire of any husband is for his wife to be comfortable, to be happy, to be at peace in her mind. Now, we are weak men and we fail multiple times in different ways in this aspect. But Christ is a perfect husband and he does not fail. The bride of Christ will lack the nothing. You understand this? The, the the harlot and the beast are slaughtering left right, and center and the blood of the lamb, the blood not of the lamb, the blood of the saints are, are, are flowing in the streets. And I imagine that they... Think that things are going well. They believe the world and the see the church in their minds receding and is ruined. They're happy about it. When it is, it take real rights of, of parents to teach the children or whatever else they're doing in the world to try to stop anybody from being gospelized. They feel as if they're being successful in doing so they're not. They are. The beast destroys the prostitute and is filled with hate. And as I've like it's not a case where um, we have a mutual agreement. I give you what you want, and give it, and I like you, like we provide for me, I provide for you, and I like it, and I like you, you individually. I should care for you, like that. I give you what you want from me, and I get what I want from you, and I hate it. That is that is that is what went on. Not 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 not, and it's not just a case where I'm being I'm exaggerating. Like they literally use their power to wreck that woman to shreds and burned her flesh. The image of being this is not a little dislike, like uh, uh, the sorcery spite woman has got faith in wrong for years. This is a, a hatred, a burning hatred that is a part of this relationship. But we, really, on the other hand, Christ loves and protects his bride. You see the parallels and the, the opposites that's going on here, even within. Trying to, to to be like God. Right. You know, I can't remember the word again. To be like God. Imitate God. <laughs> Imitate God, yes, there it is. Everything about it is 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 opposite to. The world is used and abused by an unfaithful and deceptive power. Well the church enjoys the love, protection, and faithfulness of of her heavy husband. Yeah. That was so pretty I wrote that. That's, that's that just sweet though. Like that just sweet though. Honestly, it's sweet. Yeah, like, I can't a later. That was a commentary thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but honestly, man, this 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 is this is a glorious picture of the power of the Lamb, of the triumph of the Lamb, under the vindication of believers. I was hoping to scare you a bit and talking about the blood that was being shed. Well, you got a little discouraged. A little But honestly, there is no battle to be had. The victory is already won. We have a loving Heavenly Father. We have, as the church generally, uh, a faithful, protective husband who provides all that we need. We cannot forget this. We need not forget this. We dare not forget this. With all the power of the world, with all the deceptive shadowing and, and trying to be like God. He is not God. Um, his wounds are fatal. He is not the one who is, who was, and his, uh, who is to come. He is not. And we need not uh, be jealous of the harlot with her pearls. Are hope is not the temporal luxuries and pleasures in this present time. We have something to look forward to. I really pray to God that I would believe this. We have something to look forward to. And if it is that the picture of such a loving husband is what we have to look forward to, a provision that we will never lack, a love that will never fade, a faithfulness that will never be broken, you can get cheap done, you can take a harm, this is and that might sound funny, but the, the truth is that the type of heartbreak if Christ is not resurrected, as Paul said, everything can not. <laughs> we are most to be pitied. But because it is true, I'm not going to say if, but because it is true, we have all the joy in the world. Amen.